I'm Eric. I'm Josh. I'm Alex. And this is Technically Pop. So today we are going to be talking about the Oscars this year. We'll definitely be talking about the slap, but <laughs> hopefully guys, other I, things too. <laughs> I have saved my spiciest takes for you. Yes, we appreciate that. I have that. not put them on the internet. I have saved them for this moment. Oh God, I'm excited. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you be. Can, can you hold on to them or should we like go immediately? No, there no, 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 spice? no. I was just, te- I'm just teasing out. I'm just teasing out when we get to it, when we get there. Business in the front, party in the back. Let's let's get get past yeah. some of these more serious uh, topics, maybe, and then then we can get into what's on everyone's mind. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> we have things in a different order on the run sheet, but we were just talking about something on the run sheet that is about the middle of the place. And if we're talking about serious things, if we're talking about things that matter. I, of course, want to talk about the fan favorite categories at the Oscars, this new edition. You know what? I think, actually, that this is great, a great way to jump in because um, so much of the broadcast on ABC happened out of order. Um, though they told us it was live on the screen constantly, it all happened out of order. So I feel like we should just feel free to jump around. Yes. Just just. The, Os- the Oscars are a, a postmodern text. You know, they're not bound to linear chronology. <laughs> oh my god, incredible. Yeah, so fan favorites. Um, what the fuck? So this was basically this was like the next step of the evolution from like we're always going to have 10 nominees for best picture so that we can bring in more popular nominees. And mm-hmm. this was okay, that didn't get enough people to watch. Now we're going to have these fan favorite categories that people vote for on Twitter, question mark. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay, got it. Uh, Which is a great idea because... Oh, go ahead. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a great idea because as we know, Twitter is a place where everyone engages responsibly in reasonable discourse um, and no one has ever used Twitter for a nefarious media-based campaign of (laughs) false information. (laughs) Right? Right? I mean, I've always been too afraid to get on Twitter, so I just trust you. (laughs) And there's never been some sort of, like, culture war that plays out (laughs) via many accounts that are not you know, legitimate accounts on twitter.com. That's never happened. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. That's totally happened. It was Star Wars, <laughs> The Last Jedi. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, I think I think we can't truly evaluate these new awards and whether or not Twitter was an appropriate medium uh, in which for them to occur be, until we until we evaluate the results basically uh so there was fan favorite film which was army of the dead uh have any of us seen army of the dead no no i i haven't seen it noteworthy that that beat out spider-man no way home which about everyone 
saw and paid money for. Uh, but apparently there was some interesting discrepancy in who would vote for that versus who would vote for, uh, yes, Army of the Dead. Oh, God, I didn't even think about that. Uh... It Well, it's really fascinating because I think it does demonstrate that... Um, I think it demonstrates a couple of things. One is that there is a segment of film fandom that is very technically savvy and knows how to uh, amplify their own voices to seem like a, a vast majority when they're not actually a vast majority, right? So it matters that Zack Snyder directed Army of the Dead. For um, sure. Yeah, for sure. This is amongst the same the same group of people right who the same group of people who who gamed the twitter poll in order to have that film win fan favorite is the same group of people who gamed the wb entirely or warner brothers entirely to get Zack snyder's cut of justice league released right release the snyder cut yeah, by seeming like they are this like incredibly vocal majority and that everyone in the world holds this position, which is that like, you know, Zack Snyder is the best filmmaker ever. It's not real. <laughs> it's they're using the technology to amplify themselves, but they're very, very good at it. Right. Um, and you could already vote like 20 times a day or something <laughs> like right. seriously. Yeah. I mean. Mm-hmm. Even even voting once a day, what am I going to remember every day? Like, let me log on to Twitter.com and, and tweet again about, you know, my fan favorite. I'm not going to remember to do that, but a small dedicated group of people that's going to make it their life for Zack Snyder to win this made-up award, they're definitely going to do that. And probably automate several thousand bots to yeah, do the same. exactly. Right? Yep. Like, I mean, that's how they do this stuff, right? Um, through automation and through bots you just write a script and then you run the script and it does whatever action it is that you need to do you know thousands or millions of times like it's not difficult it's just a matter of knowing how to do it and then organizing your like small collective of people to actually do it right so it's interesting to me in a lot of ways I think because I don't think it demonstrates what film is actually the fan favorite which is ostensibly what the Oscars wanted to demonstrate. Um, but I do think it demonstrates the the extent to which media right now, popular media right now, is being shaped and dominated by a weird little subculture of people who are making themselves seem like a much bigger group with a much larger voice. And they're like getting things done, right? They literally got an, a whole movie released. Uh, the most Wild. movie released. The, the most, most movie. movie. They got it. <laughs> and then they also gamed the other poll so that our favorite, what was it? The most cheerworthy, uh, cheerworthy moment. Was <laughs> the Flash entering the Speed Force. <laughs> what? We all remember where we were when the Flash ended. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just an incredible sentence for them to have to stay in the Dolby Theater. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just have to say, as a complete tangent, 
uh, anyone who's listened to Technically Pop knows my love of all things superheroes. And even I find the Speed Force the most confusing superhero trope. Like, it doesn't even make any sense how it works. Uh, at least like Superman, it's like, oh yeah, the sun and kryptonite. There's a basic kind of elemental logic. The Speed Force makes no sense. Even huge superhero fans, like it's not, nobody is thinking about this. It's like you said, Alex, it's like a select group of Snyder heads that think seeing some like flashing lightning while a guy, you know, kneels down, crouches down and then starts to run is like the most exciting thing they've seen. It's not even the best thing in a Zack Snyder movie. No, and no, no, no. And I don't think, to be clear, I actually don't think that that small group of people thinks that that was the most cheerworthy moment. It's a troll. This is all just trolling. Right, right. And frankly, release the Snyder cut was something that began as, why are we spending so long on Zack Snyder when we're talking about the Oscars? It's where the conversation is. <laughs> I've like, suddenly come to myself and realized, like, do we care about this that much? Um there's a mismatch there, I guess. Um, anyway, no, it, it, it just is all this kind of culture of internet trolling. And like, you take an, something that is initially said ironically, right? And then you amplify it and elevate it until it becomes some sort of reality. Um, and it's, I don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm two things. I'm number one, a scholar of fans and fandom. Um, but I'm also a person who refuses to watch most DC movies because I don't care about DC superheroes, like fundamentally. And I think Zack Snyder makes movies for fascists. Um, so I'm torn between like, on the one hand, it's very interesting that fans are able to leverage the, the technological power to do this um, and truly like dictate what media does. Um, and then on the other hand, I'm like, did it have to be these people, though? I think we could see some overlap between this small, dedicated group of Snyderheads and things like the way that neo-Nazi propaganda spreads online um, and the alt-right and some like really coordinated hate movements that happen online. Um, because I think Zack Snyder makes films for, films for fascists. <laughs> I see. Yes, that makes sense to me. Uh, yeah. and having seen 300, I think you're right. <laughs> uh, I mean, time. that's to be clear, I don't think Marvel is necessarily much better. I think Marvel makes movies for neo libs, um, Warhawk neo libs, really specifically. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Post in a postmodern way, let's just cut to something else entirely. <laughs> awesome sounds good so let's talk about who won i suppose who won other made-up awards that perhaps have a little bit more cachet so <laughs> <laughs> that's a great point all of these awards are truly made up <laughs> uh but uh i guess we can start at the top so uh coda won best picture i also have not seen coda but I haven't seen it either. Yeah, me neither. It's it's the Apple TV Plus is the last frontier of streaming for me. Yeah, same I was here. really I was really hoping that we would have Corey on today so that we could hear the disability studies scholar take on Coda. 
Um, I've heard like mixed things from people who've seen it as to whether or not like it's an interesting film about disability and deafness or is it a film about deafness for hearing people in the same way that The Sound of Metal was. Um, and I don't, I don't have an opinion, but I just know there's been some like contradictory kind of uh, feelings towards it. It is interesting thinking about Sound of Metal last year and Coda this year. Like, is there going to be a sort of deaf movie every year? Like, is that a new thing that the Academy is kind of interested in, you know, picking like one movie that engages with deafness uh, mm-hmm. in the way that in the past, like there was almost always like some kind of slavery movie or some kind of like race movie or civil rights movie, regardless of, you know, often it was like the help or whatever. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily like great politics, but they would sort of like pencil that in. It'll be interesting if that kind of trend continues. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the other nominees? Some of them I really want to talk about, and some of them I just want to hear what you two think about. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it was Coda that ended up breaking the streaming barrier. Uh, what I want to know is why wasn't it Don't Look Up? <laughs> <laughs> What'd you make I of that know. movie? <laughs> I, I didn't see it. I... Uh, <laughs> I was hanging out with a friend and the friend was like, oh, we should watch it because everyone's watching it. Like, I just feel like we need to, I don't know, be up to date on this conversation. cultural conversation or whatever. And it was the longest, 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 most miserable two and a half to three hours of my life. <laughs> I hated say, it so much. It's, would you yeah, say it's what? the worst Meryl Streep movie? Uh, I have not seen every Meryl Streep movie, but I think I don't need to have done so in order to confidently assert yes. <laughs> it was pretty reviled. I'm surprised that it ended up in in Best Picture. I'm not. I don't know what to make of these nominees. Kind of, to be honest. I mean, one thing we know they expanded the number of of Academy members and therefore voters. Mm-hmm. Uh. And part of the hope with that was it would lead to like more diverse nominees or whatever. But I think it's just maybe led to like a little more of a confusing set of tastes and interest groups and, and like voting blocks or whatever. Like critics hated Don't Look Up. It gets a nomination. Uh, you get something like coming in really late, like, Nightmare Alley, which was like very mixed. Um, I don't know. These I think, nominees are yeah. all over the place. I, so I think, and I can't remember all the nominees off the top of my head. Though, so. so it's, oh, we should I, just, I can list them. Yeah, we you. should just list them. Yeah, the, yeah. Great. Let's do it. Okay. So it's Nightmare Alley, Don't Look Up, Dune, Drive My Car, Belfast, another one that I'd be interested in talking about. Uh, Licorice Pizza, The Power of the Dog, West Side Story 2021, King Richard, and Coda. Okay, so Nightmare Alley, I'm going to say, was a toss-in nomination because the Academy has a really close relationship with Guillermo del Toro. He won for Shape of Water. Um, and I think people didn't even necessarily see it. They just went like, oh my God, we love Guillermo del Toro. We got to throw his movie in there. 
I feel like Adam McKay is one of those people who is kind of an Oscar perennial too, or at yeah. least like yeah. he, he'll direct acting nominees and stuff like that. Like that's how I kind of read it. Like it's Vice new Adam McKay was nominated, movie. right? For best. Oh picture. yeah. 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 And the big short was nominated maybe. Yeah. Certainly those movies were better. It's like each movie he makes is like more poorly received. Uh, <laughs> Vice was really mixed. At least the serious movies. I mean, the early comedies are, are kind of a different thing, but this run of more polemical movies, like people love the big, sh- the big short. Vice is more mixed. People hate it. Don't look up. Uh, what are you talking about? Polemical? I thought "Don't Look Up" was his long heralded return to comedy. <laughs> uh, I but I you know I also wonder if if part of why "Don't Look Up" was so reviled is because it like it's too close to home it's broaching like several topics that we culturally just don't want to deal with and it's not doing it in a way that like feels good like we don't get to feel again I haven't seen it I haven't even really read any reviews of it so I could be totally off the mark on this one but just my sense of it is like there's a cultural desire particularly while we're still sort of in the midst of this weird, is it pandemic? Is it now not? Are we post pandemic now? Whatever, right? That that it just was like too uh, close to us and too real and too hopeless for people to want to engage with it. Does that sound like it tracks at all or am I just totally full of bullshit? I mean, so... Part of it struck me as too close to home, but too close to home as in it didn't add anything new. It it was kind of like everyone's already thinking this and knows this and you're Mm -hmm. just framing it in this movie that comes across as you think you're the smartest person in every room you've walked into and we're supposed to be amazed by this Mm -hmm. speculative future that you've sketched. Mm -hmm. Also full of a lot of insufferable jokes. Mm. and way too long of a runtime mm. i think around the time it was like two hours and 35 minutes in and the asteroid was about to hit the earth or maybe had hit the earth and then we enter into this like 10 minute slow-mo of the world being destroyed and i'm like you made me sit through this whole movie and now you're using slow motion it it was a real slap in the face so you so, entered into the opposite of this beat though that I was gonna it, it say did. that is a page from the Zack Snyder playbook. <laughs> slow mo, oh, Ex- excessive slow mo. Maybe he's rubbing off on the wrong people. Oh god! I will say, so you know, true. run runtime is kind of a theme here. I mean, uh, I I love Dune. It's pretty long. Uh, mm-hmm. Power of the Dogs pretty long. Like mm-hmm. you said, don't look up. Drive my car uh, is like three hours. Um, mm-hmm. Licorice Pizza is really the only like two hour sub two hour movie uh i mean and that's just a general thing too like movies are getting longer it's interesting that that seems to cut across these very different genres um -hmm. yeah yeah it reminds me a little bit of uh like i can't remember what movie it was that won an editing award one year but someone said like oh the reason that one editor like it wasn't like it was especially good editing it was just the most editing it was just so in your face about how it was edited and i was it bohemian rhapsody 
it may have been Bohemian that, Rhapsody. That sounds right because people did complain about that. Right. Award. That actually that was my I vague think, sense. I think that one best editing, not because it was like the most editing, although it was, but because they had functionally shot like dozens of hours of useless footage. And what was the the miracle of it was that an editor was actually able to cut it into something that was coherent. Because there like wasn't really a movie there. That editor did actually like work miracles. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Regardless. that's that's the most positive version I've seen of it, and I like that. Uh... <laughs> Which we um, haven't even said. You didn't even get to see the editing win on the telecast this year because they <laughs> cut out a bunch of awards, and it, and the Oscars themselves were still super long. They were longer than last year's. Um, and, well, this is a whole, like, we're just jumping around as the Oscars did um <laughs> but this is a really interesting kind of like how the sausages get made sort of thing I think about Hollywood and the like contradictions between what the Academy wants to do versus what ABC and Disney want to do versus what like the power players of Hollywood think is acceptable right because initially it was ABC said you have to shorten the broadcast cannot be that long if it is that long, if it's three hours, you are losing the television deal and we simply will not air it, right? And so the Academy scrambled and said like, fuck, okay, what do we do? Um, let's cut all these technical awards from the broadcast. We'll give them out earlier in the night um, when the big name celebrities are still doing the red carpet that shortens the, the work day for those people. Um, it shortens the broadcast, et cetera, et cetera. And then guarantee what happened is that people who produced things like Dune, um, like like people who fronted money, like vast sums of money for a movie like Dune, came back to the Academy and said, the fuck you're not going to name our nominees and show us winning these awards because those are the only awards that Dune was going to win. Dune was never going to win Best Picture. Right, right. right. Um, it, it, and, won, it won those six technical awards. Right, exactly. And so those people who wield a lot of power and money in Hollywood, I think, came back to the Academy and said, "You're if you cut this stuff, then we will not participate. We will, you know, blacklist you. We'll be really angry about it, whatever. And so then the Academy scrambled and said, okay, well, like, so we'll present them earlier, but then we'll show them in the broadcast later on so we can edit speeches. Um, and that way, like, you'll still get your name and your movie shown on the broadcast, but it also will maybe, and what ha what ended up happening, right, is that that didn't work and it extended the broadcast too long. Um, it made everything pretty weird, even just from the jump. Um, it made a lot of people feel bad. So I, I do want I, to add, oh, my favorite no, part no, no, of it was ahead. like, oh, I, I loved how they edited in the random like Kuleshov effect reaction shots from oh, people yes. who may have not been there. <laughs> I had just shot a bunch of reaction shots as B-roll basically and then cut it in. You're absolutely right. And the result as a viewer was like total disorientation. Like, what am I looking at? Are these people, were they in the room? Are they in the room? When is this happening? so bizarre so i won't be surprised if the oscars drop that in like even next year they'll go back to having all those awards in the night i just also like cinematography like best cinematography is the movie right like 
you could only give cinematography awards. Like, it's not a movie if there's no cinematography. Like, what are you talking about? Why okay. you can't give that off broadcast? Like, that is that's such an essential thing. I don't know. It just drives me crazy. Right, I agree. But, oh, but we ahead. don't elevate cinematographers to the the level of celebrity unless they're Roger Deakins, right? So, like, yeah. Although I do feel like I feel like Fraser winning. And also having just done the Batman and like worked on the Mandalorian, yeah. I feel like some of the, and people like Lubezki winning, was it back to back or even three times or something like that? Um, it, it's getting there more than it ever used to be. But yeah, you're right. We don't, we don't, they're not household names, uh, even like many directors are. Right. So there's no, there's no way that the broadcast would ever cut supporting actor, supporting actress, actor or actress, right? Because those are the celebrity awards. Those are we assume that people want to see Will Smith, <laughs> right? And like, and people did. People <laughs> people really tuned in. Oh God. <laughs> oh, Christ. Um, where where were we? Uh, we were talking about uh, celebrity awards versus technical awards. Right. And. Well, originally we were talking about the nominees for Best Picture. Well, yeah, I don't <laughs> know if we, we started. Do we want to circle <laughs> back to any of those movies? Like, Eric, do you have a Belfast take or any of these other? Um... I would love to hear someone's Belfast take because I haven't seen it. I <sighs> want to hear Molly's take on it. She's not with us today. So, Eric. As it's our it's other, kind of a like... cold Belfast take, I suppose, yeah. of just like. <laughs> like of of all of all retrospect of all retrospectives of Belfast during the troubles this is the one we got and this is the one that got nominated for best picture like it it just seems it seems like such a slight movie and i was kind of shocked that it was nominated mm-hmm. yeah uh, like i'd say if you want an interesting thing about northern ireland during the troubles uh watch dairy girls it's great that's my yeah. take. I don't think there's anything especially spicy about it, but just. It is wild to me that Brenna keeps going between just the worst, like, supposedly populist seat filler garbage and then movies like Belfast and gets rewarded for it. I don't know. Maybe he was really nominated for directing um, Gal Gadot <laughs> saying. And enough champagne to seal the dial. <laughs> it was one of those combination awards. <laughs> I thought we got to get him in here somehow. Uh huh. I saw so many Oscar news reports that talked about <laughs> that just quoted that line saying like <laughs> Kenneth Branagh was celebrating drinking enough champagne. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to. I just have to say the idea that Branagh was nominated and Villeneuve was not nominated in directing is absurd to me. Yeah, that's fair. Especially after it wins those the six, you know, visual effects and cinematography and editing and production design and score and sound. Like, you know, who's in charge of all of those things and making sure they all work harmoniously together? It's a little person known as the director. 
Somebody who yeah. has to figure out which two, not one, but two different deserts to shoot this movie in. I mean, come on. Now. <laughs> Where's some love? Where's some love for my guy? He's got to get nominated for Doom Part 2. That's That's got to happen. I mean, but Kenneth Branagh got a great performance out of Kieran Hines. Uh, it's not like anyone could do that. <laughs> right. It's not like it's not like that you is, can already act. That notoriously <laughs> flat <laughs> Kieran Hines, who's never turned in a good performance unless he was really coached through it. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 He's a treasure. Kieran uh, Hines, not is. Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh's not a treasure. <laughs> Um, well, I'll say that my, okay, so I, a couple, I have two sort of takes on some of the other, um, no, I have more than that. I have takes on the other nominees. Um, West Side Story, I simply don't understand who that movie is for. Uh, I, I don't get it. <laughs> um, am I missing something? Is there some reason, is there some compelling reason why West Side Story was the thing that Spielberg would do at this late stage of his life. I mean, I hear compelling to him, but not necessarily compelling to anyone else. Like that was just one of his favorite movies and he had always wanted to do a musical and then was like, why don't I just remake it? Is is my understanding. I mean, maybe it's part of the larger nostalgia, you know, tsunami that we're experiencing. Um yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's for boomers, right? It's for boomers who watched the original West Side Story when they were super young, and now it's back. I don't know. I, I yeah, I think it's also probably I'm not necessarily that this was Spielberg's angle in, but I think that somewhere along the line, some producer was like, "Oh yeah, you know that Lin Manuel Miranda kid? He's like super popular right now in the Heights or whatever. Let's do something about Latinx people in New York." you know oh god that's maybe true <laughs> yeah that's dark. i don't i don't know yeah. i don't i don't feel like i need a movie like west side story and i don't particularly feel like contra what guillermo del toro said on twitter i don't particularly feel like it's technically innovative or or interesting in what it's doing with cinematography and camera movement in a musical i think it was like from what I saw of it, it seemed like just just okay. Should we talk a bit about uh, the power of the dog? Yeah, so that's where leading, I was going yes. to That's where yeah, I wanted so to go. Leading in nominations uh, with 12, only winning one of them. Campion wins for directing, uh, which is interesting for a couple of reasons. She's uh, the first woman to be nominated twice. And with Chloe Zhao winning last year for Nomadland, we have the first time that two women have won Best Directing back-to-back. But none of the acting, uh, none of the actors who were nominated won. So um, everyone's favorite celebrity couple, Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst, one of two celebrity couples who are both nominated, oddly. um, The other being Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz, both nominated this year. Hmm. Uh, and then, of course, Bendit Cumberbatch, uh, maybe one of the frontrunners, uh, at least at one point in the calendar, a frontrunner for Best Actor. None, none of them win, and it doesn't win any of the other stuff it's nominated for either. So what did you guys think of Power of the Dog as a movie, and what do you make of its only coming away with one out of 12 Oscars? I think that's the right call. Um, 
I think that, uh, how do I want to say this? I think the movie is not going to age very well. I think that um, while Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons were, were lovely in the film, I think that Benedict Cumberbatch was horrendously miscast in that film. Um, I think the entire film suffers because of it. Um, he was simply not the right actor for that role. Um, and I think that I, I didn't hate the movie in the moment watching it. I, I enjoyed it as like you have been allocated one unit of movie. Um, but thinking back on it, my thoughts about the film become more and more negative rather than becoming more and more positive, even just in like a short span of time. Oh, that's interesting because I, I felt the opposite, like watching it, I was like, what is going on? Where is this going? Mm -hmm. This, I mean, the, the Johnny Greenwood basically like, uh, reprising his, there will be blood, like tension filled string forward Mm -hmm. score. It's obviously like gorgeous. It's gorgeous shots of, you know, New Zealand as Montana or whatever. Uh, but Mm -hmm. it's like, what, what is happening? But then thinking back on it, I was like, Oh, that was actually pretty interesting. I, I would watch it again. So that's interesting that you liked it, but then in reflecting on it, what, what, aside from Benedict, what do you think? kind of lost its sheen i think that um the the heavy-handed visual metaphors were laughable to me in the moment um and thinking back on them and like the sort of totality of the film um i think that i'm confused and uncomfortable about what champion is saying about like male homoeroticism and sexuality um And I think the thing is that I think a lot of it still stems from Cumberbatch being miscast. I think that with the right actor in that role, I wouldn't have had so many problems with all the other sort of clunky stuff. Um, But like watching him shove that big post into the dirt, I laughed out loud. You know what I mean? Like, but is, is it kind of the point that like he's actually this like Yale educated like guy who studied classics and like to me it, it's this weird like I feel like it it has a lot of Gatsby in it it's like this anti Gatsby like instead of the Midwesterner like trying to adapt to the sophisticated like New York society it's like this cultured Northeasterner that like goes out west. And is like trying to be a rancher and that's not actually like who he is underneath. Um, He act like the whole thing with like the governor's wife, like really wants to talk to him because he's like a great conversationalist and he knows Mm -hmm. Latin or whatever. So I felt like maybe that is part of it. Like he's not this, the the guy you'd expect to be the great rancher. Right. Because in fact, he's like, he is a cultured, educated person that has chosen to never bathe or whatever. Right. But, well, and to rub himself down with dirt um, after climbing through the, the, the rectal passage of dirt coal. Yes, that, that, was a, that was a heavy-handed metaphor. You are right about that visual cue. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> You're not wrong about 
the excretion metaphor. It was just a gross metaphor, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you watch it in the moment and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I got that. But then you think back on it and you're like, James Campion is basically saying that gay men are disgusting because they, like, put their dicks into, like, poop-filled rectal passages. I'm like, I don't know. I just think that's really uncomfortable and nasty. And for someone who has made a film like Bright Star, which is so much about the sort of sensuousness and, and eroticism, um, even without there being a lot of like explicit content in the film, I was really surprised in Power of the Dog that Campion couldn't like capitalize on this forbidden eroticism that is homoeroticism, right? And instead, everything just came across as like disgusting and dirty and wrong. Um, and I don't feel like the film really ever came around in a way that that made me feel like we could celebrate the the abjection or the filth of it. You know what I mean? And and I don't know. Anyway, yeah, that's to go back to your point. To go back to your point about Cumberbatch and like that he that he's actually this like cultured person, right? I think that he's miscast because of course you think Cumberbatch is this like cultured northeasterner. I mean, he does have the worst American accent of all fucking time. Um, but like, there's no. I I was not ever surprised to be like, oh, he's actually Yale educated. He's fundamentally a cerebral actor. He's just a brain. He doesn't have. Right. Right. a sensual quality to him so there's no surprise there but then there's also like no complexity there's no sort of sense of like that he left that that world behind to go get down in the mud with his little harem of half-naked rancher boys um there was no sense that in in my mind in my perception of it that he would actually be charismatic enough to have these people stick with him and follow him as a leader and have Jesse Plemons stick around when he continually insults Jesse Plemons um, in like really horrendous ways, right? Like he was just abusive with none of the charisma um, and none of the like erotic animalistic draw that that character seems like it should have. Yeah. That, that point about the charisma strikes true to me. Just <laughs> like they were so worshipful of him and, and just constantly asking him questions about Bronco Henry. And he very much did not come across as a Bronco Henry. I'm not sure how he would be able to, I don't know, have that power over someone, have that, uh, that mentorship role. And of course he doesn't because <laughs> the he person he tries like to take asshole. on in that way murders him. Right. Uh, he just seems like a real asshole in the film. And I'm left going like, why would all these people just smack you in the face and go like, stop being such a fucking dick all the time. <laughs> You need what that role needed was a Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I'm gonna think about that for a while. And then, yeah, I you, oh. you have someone who's animalistic, right? Who's can walk that razor thin line of like um, being so charismatic and like someone that you would really <laughs> invest your energy in, but then he could also turn terrifying, like in a snap, and you would you could you know what I mean? Like you could play. Uh, you were talking like, about. You were talking about Matthew McConaughey and Magic Mike. That's what I'm hearing. You, yes, basically. I mean, a little <laughs> less. He's doing comedy in Magic Mike, right? So well, he would Russ, Russ like... Cole, right? True, the True oh. Detective Russ Cole character is. Oh, I haven't seen True Detective. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's all that. It's all that yeah. for sure. Yeah. Plus, also, then when he jerks off into that like 
20 year old scarf or whatever then you would actually be like oh yeah I can see how there's like this erotic power here right and like I'm invested in even if I think this guy's kind of a scary cult leader dick like I'm invested in his experience of sensual pleasure in the world that he allows himself and instead I was just like ew no Benedict Cumberbatch doesn't have a penis get that away from me (laughs) (laughs) yeah I uh like going back to your reading of uh of like Campion's weird portrayal of homoeroticism in the movie like I I loved the movie. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it while I was watching it and then kept thinking about it afterwards. Uh like I thought the ending was great. I really enjoyed it. But uh I did have the same concern that you have of will it age well? And part of what stood out to me about it was just the fact that yeah, there was that lack of any celebration of sexuality like it was just so much about repression and violence Mm -hmm. and cruelty and i don't know it just seemed an interesting portrayal of queerness to have in 2022 as or 2021 i guess as good as i found it and i think there was like a lot of potential with uh plenins and stunts that is really unrealized and uncapitalized on, right? Like they're a bit of a queer, like unexpected couple um, and clearly playing on some like, you know, the the seemingly asexual um, weak man figure, right? Um, Who then like meets the woman he wants to be with who's a widow. So she's already, she has a kid. So obviously like she's already done it. And everything and we get a little bit of that sort of exploration of their sexual lives together but we get it framed through Cumberbatch so it is again all about repression and violence and how angry it makes him to hear his brother fuck um, yeah it just I understand why the choices were made I just think that that what came out of it as a totality was disappointing to me um and not it didn't bring me to the heights of some of campion's earlier films again like i said bright star but then also like in the cut which i think is a a really neglected masterpiece about sexuality um and eroticism and violence um i think campion has done it better before i guess we were talking earlier about the length of most of these nominations and I mean, of the ones I've seen, again, I haven't seen them all. The Power of the Dog and West Side Story were the ones in which I least felt the length. It was the least oppressive. Uh, I think Power of the Dog, just because there was that tension throughout, I think that Greenwood score did a lot for it, where I was like, oh, I can't wait to see what happens next. Just (laughs) where is this headed? Uh, And then... I don't know, just a musical dance numbers. They'll pull you through. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting to me, though, what Josh said about um, Johnny Greenwood and that score and Power of the Dog, where Campion is sort of doing this this Paul Thomas Anderson riff, right? Um, The Western, the like, the the child versus controlling masculine violent figure, while, while PTA's nomination, right, for licorice pizza is him really going back to an earlier sort of moment in his own career and 
kind of in a way remaking or revisiting some of the themes from uh, Boogie Night in a very different way this time around. Um, Licorice Pizza was my top, like, of the nominees. I think Licorice Pizza, by and far my favorite film out of all of them. Um, a film that has only grown in my esteem as I think back on having seen it. I loved it. Just loved it. I, and I totally love that take. It, as we discuss it, I then want to loop into some of the more, um, some of the stuff about the Oscars broadcast, because I have a bit of a way that I think those things connect. Did you guys see Licorice Pizza? Yeah, I fully agree. I would have given it Best Picture, Best Direct. I, I loved it. I yeah. thought it was great. I thought it was, I mean, I loved Dune. It's not exactly, you know, I'm glad it won the awards that it did. Like I said, I think Villeneuve should have been nominated just for the scale of what he did in directing. But I thought mm-hmm. Licorice Pizza was the best of those movies that I saw. There's still several I have. I haven't I haven't watched Drive My Car yet, um, which people I haven't like either. a lot. Yeah, but I love Licorice Pizza. I think you're absolutely right. It's like he's revisiting, you know, the valley the 70s it's a little more it's still a coming of age story like uh you know some of the other stuff that he's made but it's it's much more like it's just fun it's just such a fun Mm -hmm. movie the casting is great the fact that he like knows cooper hoffman and alana heim and is just like wrote something that perfectly like plays to their strengths he knows them personally they don't have you know they're they're new on the scene basically i was thought that was really endearing um mm-hmm. obviously it's got a series of wild cameos by <laughs> sean penn and bradley cooper yeah it was great i loved it did tom you see Lakers pizza eric okay tom waits yeah tom waits yeah that's right, right. yeah uh i have not seen it yet but i i I'm excited about it. I love Han, oh. so I'm just intrigued by... They're all in it. The whole family. <laughs> they're, they're oh, I did not know the whole family. Yeah, her yeah. parents are in it. They're they're this really is, funny. This is part of what I think is so fun. Um, I think what I'm drawn to in films, and the reason why some of PTA's career hasn't really like hit me or been for me, which is fine, um, is that I'm really drawn to the like ensemble or the sort of community, even if you have, I mean... Licorice Pizza is kind of a two-hander because it's Alana Hyman. Um, Cooper Hoffman are really doing the heavy lifting. But this kind of like sense of, of chosen family, right? And the film does emerge out of like, they all just hung out at PTA's house all the time. Um, and so he was like, hey, I'm going to write a movie for these people. And, you know, Alana Hyman's not an actor. She doesn't have this sort of like history of um, being in you know, actual sort of like acting projects or the acting world. Um, And so she's very naturalistic. And then that's really like increased with having her sisters play her sisters and her parents play her parents. And you have this sense of like film is for these kind of configurations of chosen or found family that can come together. Some of us related, some of us not related, some of us, you know, linked together through um, like these close, familial relationships PTA obviously with Philip Seymour Hoffman um, they worked very closely together for a very long time and so then Cooper Hoffman kind of coming into that grouping um, and being taken in and sheltered by PTA and his family um, I just yeah I agree with you Josh I thought it was fun I thought it the cameos worked really well it did the thing for me that I want 
the Oscars to do, which is that it made me excited about movies, right? Like so many of the the cameos are based on real people. Sean Penn is playing a, a very thinly veiled version of William Holden. Um, <clears throat> Bradley Cooper is playing a not at all veiled <laughs> version of John Peters, right? Um, you have that kind of like the mythos of history, the the history of Hollywood past and how weird it was. Tom Waits being this kind of like director that mashes up all these different sort of famous Hollywood drunks um, into one stunning performance. I loved him. Um, and let's see, what else do I want to say? It highlighted for me, thinking about licorice pizza, highlighted for me the major problem I had with the Oscars broadcast, um, which was that it was a deeply anti-family affair uh, that was cynical and mean. It was mean about the movies. It was mean about people's spouses. It was just nasty feeling long before anyone stood up and slapped Chris Rock in the face. Um, and I was really like, I wish that the energy of licorice pizza had been the energy of the Oscars show itself. And it was so diametrically opposed. That but they need really to let they out. need to let PTA produce it. Yeah. I don't I don't wish that on him, but yeah. No, no, it would not it not be enjoyable. But uh yeah, no, that's an interesting point about the the ethos uh of the telecast of the Oscars. Yeah, it just was all the comedy monologues were all about how the movies were bad, um, how Power of the Dog was too long and boring to watch, which I didn't find to be true, even though a lot of those nominees were long. Um, you know, the stuff with overtly sexualizing the single men in the audience or, um, you know, the the like picking on people in really mean ways, Amy Schumer and, and like I, thinking back about the Amy Schumer bit, for one thing, after the slap, the Amy Schumer bit where she went out and mistook Kirsten Dunst for a seat filler, you know, which is obviously like it's pre-scripted. I know that, that Clemens and Dunst agreed to it, but it should have been cut from the, it should, should just not have happened. Once that slap happened, that should have just been like, Oop, let's not do that. We're not, let's, no, no. Well, speaking of things that should have been cut from the broadcast once the slap happened, Will Smith accepting an Oscar. <laughs> what? I, I mean, they couldn't, there's no way they could. Uh, yeah. Well, they for, were, ra- they were... for ratings alone, there's no way they could cut it. But it was right. just sort of unreal. I mean, it we was. could circle back to some of this other stuff, but I feel like it's kind of time maybe to embrace our, our inner, inner slap. I will say <laughs> one of our favorite things to do is close read some very strange rhetorical performances. And we may not have time to do that with Will Smith's acceptance speech, but I just want to say the religious language that he used was dialed up to 11. I mean, like he was a black pastor up there. I was going to say, we went to black church. Suddenly. Yes, we went, we absolutely were in a black church. It was like a black pastor who had some kind of issue or scandal come up. He's saying stuff like, 
I'm overwhelmed by what God is calling on me to do and be in this world. He's talking about being a river for his people. He's talking about being a vessel for love. Like he's talking about Moses, black pastor language, like all this rhetoric. And then the quote that he attributes to Denzel of like, at your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. Like that was the most religious language anyone in that room has heard in their life. Like that was a sermon he's giving (laughs) completely alighting the fact that he just assaulted and battered uh, Chris Rock, you know, however many minutes earlier, completely like this has been a really weird year. I feel like of Will Smith uh, going back all the way to his, his memoir coming out. Um, What did what did you guys think? We've kind of talked around it this whole time. Uh, let's get into it. What What do you guys? What's your take on the slap? Are you? Are, this is my spicy, my spicy. Oh yeah, yeah spicy. We're ready. Let's do it. Are you ready for this? My I feeling. Don't know if I am. <laughs> <laughs> my feeling is that um, there's a lot of blame. I think to go around for that moment. I think Chris Rock made a joke that he should not have made. Um, I think that he. Uh, crossed a line in making that joke about Jada Pinkett Smith. Um, I think that that Will Smith obviously holds a lot of the blame or all of the blame for the actions that he actually physically took, right, in getting up there. Um, But I think also that the producers of the Oscars share some of this blame for creating the conditions in which that was possible. Because had this been a pre-2019 style Oscars where we're in the Dolby Theater, it's set up as a theater, there's a proscenium, there's a clear um, distinction between onstage versus offstage. There's, you know, house lights are dimmed so that you can focus on what's happening on the stage in the performance of the presentation of these awards. In a world like that, in a show like that, the slap would not have happened. Um, As a matter of fact, it... It didn't. We have a historical comparison in 2016 when Chris Rock hosted the Oscars in that exact setup you just described on stage, distant Mm -hmm. from the audience. Mm -hmm. And he roasted both Jada and Will Smith then. In fact, his jokes then were meaner than what he said about Jada this time. But of course, nobody's going to, you know, run up from, like you said, the middle of a theater, get all the way up on stage. Right. Uh, well, I don't think they weren't there, which is part of why. Right, that was part them. of it. I mean, they, they were boycotting and that's what he was making right. fun of them for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. But yeah, no, but but you're absolutely right. He could have said anything in that 2016 Oscars. And he, he did. He said some really mean things because that's part of Chris Rock's like comedy brand. Um, and nobody got up and smacked him in the face. Right. The fact that the house lights in the Dolby Theater were up the entire time and there were those tables at the front with no separation between like who was on stage versus who was at those tables um, that you could just walk five steps and get on the stage without even really like ascending any, anything um, and, and just put yourself into the, the world of the, the, the aura of the presenter who was up there, you know, delivering something supposedly ceremoniously. Um, I think it was, a, a series of horrendous decisions. I think the mean-spirited comedy, again, like I said, it started long before that ever happened, long before Chris Rock ever got on the stage. Um, I think it was a failure of producing. I think the show was badly produced, uh, and I think that it is part of what led to 
the moment that we saw. And I think that there should be amongst the the academy a reckoning of of what is it that we want the Oscars to do and be? What are the, what is their ethos? Um, and and what do we not want them to do and be? Because I personally would love to never see another Oscars that is that cynical and mean spirited about film. Yeah. Do you think that part of the reason for that tone is this obsession with increasing ratings? Like, oh, well, apparently the films that we nominate don't get people in the door. Maybe making fun of those films will get people in the door because apparently people don't take them as seriously as we do. Like, is that part of it? Well, it's also just the choice of like, like Amy Schumer is not the voice of cinephilia. I mean, right. you know, <laughs> you or even even Wanda Sykes, like the people they chose to host. And obviously, yeah, the on the production side, they're writing a lot of this material. But there are avatars we have well-known celebrities who are capable of waxing eloquent about the history of film and that's just not the choices that they made right and also i think it's unforgivable that they they wrote regina hall as that like horny mess of a person um just bad choices all around i would have actually loved to have seen an oscars that's just hosted by wanda sykes because i think that she could do like a, a Billy Crystal for the 21st century kind of hosting. Um, I think that would be really cool. But there was too much going on with the hosts. um, And most of the comedy relied on this really, like, perversely, no, I don't even want to say perversely, because that's mean to perverts, um, this really nasty anti-family ethos, right? So again, to come back to the Amy Schumer bit about um, you know, kicking Kirsten Dunst out of her seat in order to flirt with Jesse Clements, like the the punchline, it all hinges on you're married to that seat filler. Kirsten Dunst was a fucking Oscar nominee that night. That's unconscionable to make that joke. You make that joke about someone who's not nominated. You're supposed to be celebrating her. So rude. I think so rude. And so just like anti the the loving familial communal spirit that films can have yeah it has an almost like a newcomer hazing quality it's like oh yeah like you're here but do you really belong here like this is your first nomination like it had a very like you said it's it's just mean it doesn't really um, she's kirsten dunst has been acting since she was fucking like four years old what yeah do you yeah know she's who an, kirsten dunst is yeah exactly yeah yeah I know that that's supposed to be part of the joke, but it just, I think it is. Right. It doesn't work if you do it with too minor of a person, right? It's got to be someone who's obviously well-known. Right. You know, all, all of the, all of the other stuff that came out later, notwithstanding the Ellen Oscars, like pizza delivery gag is, is much closer to what you're talking about of like, Mm -hmm. we're all here. We ordered a pizza. It's funny. There's like an actual delivery guy. Like it was silly. It was goofy. Behind yeah. the scenes, maybe Ellen is not a great person, like whatever. But there, it's not like they haven't done this before in more, like winsome, celebratory ways. Like they've, they've 
this is not the first Oscars. Like they, it's like they make it worse and worse every year, which I feel like, you know, if the movies are going to be nostalgic, make the show nostalgic, like go back to Oscars past. I, so this is the one reason why I think like in comparison, last year's Oscars were much more successful um, because they had that, that small intimate feeling of like a 1940s Oscar celebration. Right. And I dug it. I guess. Do we any, have anything else? Oh, go ahead, Josh. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I, I I will say, okay, I will not belabor the point, but Cruella winning costume design. <laughs> yes, I was. When the Green Knight <laughs> was not even nominated, a film that features a guy who is also a tree. The Green Knight wasn't nominated for anything. Was for it? anything. Just go shaft it up and down the ballot. Do you think that A24 like didn't really put it forward for consideration? I, I guess. Think a, I think that's a failure of the, the studio. Right? Yeah, I think that's probably right. I can't imagine why they wouldn't. What's the point of even making that movie? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But yeah, maybe they didn't stump very hard for it or didn't. I mean, but especially, okay, fine. If you want, like, I think the acting is great. I think the directing is great. The cinematography, I think it was worthy of consideration in many categories. But of all things, to nominate a live action villain origin story of a Disney classic over a movie that had an actual tree man. Not to mention all the other, you know, various knights and peasants and heraldic crests and crazy gowns and, you know, all the other amazing kind of interesting visual costume choices they made. It just, I'm apoplectic. I wonder what's going on at A24, because you're right, that's a, that's a big, big miss. And Did they have other, a- other nominations? No, oh, I'm not sure about this. Year. I guess I, I guess say. Macbeth, Denzel would be their their uh, their one acting one, right? Um, is that did A24 do that? Yes, yeah. yes, it did. Okay. I mean, I feel like uh, A24 has a really strong history at the Oscars, but. Uh, for being a relatively new studio but i guess yeah maybe they might have let it slip that way like i could have easily seen the green knight for uh for score for director for visual effects for like yeah i think it could have fit into any of these um Mm -hmm. for adapted screenplay come on but Yeah, yeah i mean honestly it should have been nominated for several of those it's an yeah it's an incredible adaptation yeah. But it's like, what were they doing if they weren't pushing that? I mean, obviously, you know, Macbeth comes out the very end of the year, prime Oscar season. You already have huge names of Denzel and Francis McDormand. So maybe they were putting a lot of energy into that. Green Knight comes out much earlier in the year. So maybe voters, it's not as much on their mind. But yeah, it's it's flabbergasting to me. Yeah. And I guess Green Knight also, like, because it was, it was delayed right like a bunch because of the pandemic um and so it might just have been that they had like i don't know shuttered the marketing campaign for green knight and and weren't really willing to pick it back up i don't know 
Let's get him on the phone and find out. (laughs) (laughs) Ring, ring, A24. Um, We have some concerns. (laughs) (laughs) It is so strange, though, that promotion is such a big part of the Oscars. Like, I guess it makes sense, but it's like something that's framed as an award show, but then you campaign as if it's an election. Uh, Yeah. 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 Did like, you? at a certain level, it seems like you shouldn't have to do that. You're the Academy. Watch the movies. <laughs> but were invented to, like, union bust. So it's all very bizarre and, and constructed and conflicting sort of ways of thinking about, like, the artistry and whatever. But I agree. Like, if, if the Oscars should be able to do one thing, it's that they should be able to like play up the nostalgia of the rich history of Hollywood filmmaking and make us feel like, yeah, man, movies, like movies. I love those things. They're there for me. Um, and the, the show this year just fundamentally failed at that. Eric, did you want to talk about biopics before we wrap up? Oh yeah. I forgot. I even said that. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, Sure. I don't know if we need to keep this in, but just the Oscars are obsessed with biopics. I think they're strange, 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 strange movies. Um, And I was thinking a little bit, especially about um, the King Richard nominations. And this, again, is going back to uh, Bohemian Rhapsody as well, which has strangely been on my mind when thinking about this year's Oscars. But just the idea of an authorized biopic and nominating that, like promoting this thing that is in some ways uh, uh, like Hollywood co-sponsored PR or something for a various person, which I guess like a biopic always is, but it seems different when it's like living people and people who stand to profit off of the goodwill that might be gotten from this thing. And mm-hmm. I just think biopics are strange and they're nominated so often. And sometimes I'm like, is this even a genre that should be involved in this conversation? I was just curious what other people thought about them. Yeah. They're a really prestige um, kind of genre. And I think that the, that goes all the way back to um, like, Oh God, what's that movie about Florence Ziegfeld that was nominated for an Oscar in like the thirties or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. The great Ziegfeld. That's like 1936. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing that I couldn't think of that title. Kiffin. Oh yeah. It's about <laughs> Ziegfeld. What they call it. That's another one that that's another like excessively long biopic um, designed as a real like star vehicle. I don't know. I just see the cycles of of history all throughout Hollywood filmmaking. Everything new is old. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, and it goes all the way back, like Patton and so many Amadeus. Mm -hmm. But this year it was like way too many. It was like being the Ricardos and Tick, Tick, Mm -hmm. Boom and King Richard and like every movie. Yeah, Eyes of Tammy Faye. Yeah. Uh, Spencer, right? So, so many. Um, Yeah. 
I think yes, I think biopics are probably the most overrated genre of of film, but uh, uh by far. Yeah. And I feel like I they're... think that they're a really easy I think that they're a really easy way to like farm an Oscar, which is what Jessica Chastain did, right? Where like yeah. you have a star who's also a producer or has producing power who acquires some property to a life story so that they specifically can star in it as their star vehicle. Um, assemble a kind of team and do something that they know is going to appeal to the academy and then reap the rewards of that when it comes around so they feel very cynical in that sort of way yeah i think you're right and and also i mean josh earlier you were talking about cinematography awards and how cinematography is the whole movie like you don't have a movie without cinematography how do you not nominate that during the time and part of me thinks I find acting awards really weird. I'm not sure how you tell whether one actor is better than another. Whereas I feel like you can look at cinematography and say like, oh, there's something really cool happening here. I can see it in front of me in terms of where the camera is. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think another reason why biopics stand out is there's this sense of like an objective measure of they look just like them give them an oscar and i'm like does that really matter i don't think so (laughs) right recreating specific scenes from tv or recreating the the physical appearance yeah it does feel quantifiable in that way i mean we could also say you know will smith it does feel like he and richard williams like he refers to him in that speech as like the thing I loved about him was like, he was protecting his girls and he starts talking about protecting the actresses on the set. He's like, that's why I love to play this role because I got to protect these young actresses, which is like a really weird and gross thing to say. And then he even expands Mm -hmm. it to the actual world famous tennis champion, William sisters. Like, I'm glad I got to do this like for them it was a very odd, like, yeah, no wonder you slapped Chris Rock. That was a Richard Williams thing to do. Like you, yeah. and it, it, I guess it gets at the whole thing about acting, right? It's like, how much are people acting and how much are they just inhabiting a different version of themselves or taking traits that they truly already have in a more extreme scenario? Obviously, I think mm-hmm. the best actors are able to play a really wide range of roles and get into characters whose traits they really don't share. But I think a lot of the Oscar winning actors, it's often just because the role is so close to them at some level. And so they really do inhabit it, but it's kind of like, there is a part of Will Smith that is maybe a lot like Richard Williams. And it was easy for him to, to be that. Yeah, and a lot of, I mean, a lot of film acting really depends on the actor inherently being, in some ways, the character or like the character, um, much more than I think theater does, because you, again, I mean, this is where you get back to this, like, Benedict Cumberbatch thing, right, where, like, he could be, he's not a, a great actor, but he could be the best actor in the world, but I don't know that he would ever be able to overcome that inherent cerebral quality that he has and make me believe that he had some, like, animalistic eroticism to him, right? So, like, casting of films hinges so much on, like, this person has this vibe, they inhabit this space, um, metaphorically or, or, or spiritually or something like that. Like, for example, uh, Cooper Hoffman, he has big white guy energy. 
you just can't you can't fake that you just have it or you don't wife guy yeah yeah for sure <laughs> yeah it it was i mean just the the richard williams and <laughs> will smith connection like for the longest time i was like so wait was that slap scripted or what <laughs> was it planned yeah. he talked about it in his speech oh god so weird so weird I, you know i thought it was planned at first because i thought that there was no way that that um sean combs could ad-lib that reaction that he gave when he came out right after that what was the reaction again well he was like chris will it's not a big deal like let's get together we'll work it out at a table at the gold room um and he he was like the only person to actually like respond in the moment to what had Mm -hmm. happened in a really direct way and i thought for sure that it must have been scripted because i just thought there's no way he could do that on the fly but i was well (laughs) not to mention that will smith laughs when chris rock tells the joke and then jada responds her face kind of goes sour and then the camera cuts away so we don't see if there was some kind of exchange, but like he's definitely on camera because they're ready to cut to them when Chris Rock tells the joke. He's definitely yeah. laughing. Like, and then he goes up there and slaps him and walks away very like matter of factly. Uh, it was man, it was so weird. It was so weird. So weird. Is this the weirdest live thing since uh the Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake halftime show. Like, I can't think of another, like, oh, truly possibly. weird live moment. Very possibly. Cursed vibes just all around. Yeah. Yeah. People <laughs> just leave Black women alone in public. Yeah. Yeah. This is my ultimate take on it. <laughs> all right. Should we end there? I think so. Leave Black yeah. women alone in public. Yeah. That's, Learn that's, a, that. that's a good Oscars. rule of thumb. Be less cynical. Maybe yeah. celebrate movies. Maybe. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, it's been lovely to talk to you both. Uh, <laughs> yes. uh, lovely to revisit uh, the Oscars and the many faux pas in it, the many snubs, the slap. Uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. And I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Until <laughs> next year's Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> Ghosty licorice pizza. Uh, yeah. One can only hope. <laughs> <laughs>